Hey everyone, Courtney here. I need to ask a huge favor from you. If you love Forensic Tales, please consider taking just one minute and leave us a five-star rating with a review. Reviews are one of the best ways to help support your favorite shows. Okay, let's get to the episode. The weather in Delphi, Indiana in February 2017 was unseasonably warm. The built-in snow day on Monday, February 13th, 2017, allowed for 13-year-old Abigail Williams and her best friend, 14-year-old Liberty German, to go hiking on the Monon High Bridge. The girls simply wanted to get outdoors and have the perfect snow day. Excitement begins to set in. But... The girls failed to show up at their designated pickup time and place. Panic begins to set in. The entire community of Delphi shows up on the historic hiking trails of Indiana to help search for the missing girls. Fear begins to set in. The next part of the story will take the small town of Delphi from being a town that no one has ever heard of to becoming a town known for one of the nation's most heinous unsolved murders. Heartache begins to set in. This is Forensic Tales, episode number 18, The Delphi Murders. Welcome to Forensic Tales. I'm your host, Courtney Fretwell. Forensic Tales is a weekly true crime podcast that discusses real, bone-chilling true crime stories with a forensic science twist. Some cases have been solved. Others have remained cold cases. If you're interested in supporting the show and getting early access to weekly episodes and bonus material, consider visiting our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. Every contribution to the show, whether it's big or small, will help me to continue to produce the true crime content you love. Please consider supporting the show on Patreon. Another great way you can help support Forensic Tales is by leaving us a rating with a review. Now, Let's jump right into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Our case that we're covering this week on the show has certainly gained the attention of the entire United States and quite possibly much farther than that. The story has been featured on a number of true crime investigative shows, as well as some recent podcasts, including some of my favorite Scene of the Crime, and Down the Hill podcast. Both of these shows I personally subscribe to, and I binged both of them even before this whole quarantine began. 
So I highly recommend to you as my listeners that if you want to know more about this particular case and keep up to date with what's going on in the investigation, especially since we're all staying indoors lately. This story is equally heartbreaking as it is shocking. I knew that I wanted to cover this story on my show because I deeply want this case to be solved and to finally see the victim's families be able to receive some sort of justice. I want to see whoever is responsible for these murders to be held accountable for what they have done, not just to the victims and their families, but what they have done to the entire community of Delphi, Indiana. If you're like me, and I'm a Southern California girl, you have no idea where Delphi is. And don't worry, you're not the only one. Delphi is a really small city located in Carroll County, Indiana. Simply overnight, it seems, the city of Delphi gained everyone's attention for having one of the nation's most heinous and unsolved murders in recent years. Before these murders, Delphi was a city that offered its residents both a suburban and kind of a rural feeling. And with only a population of a little over 2,800 residents, it definitely had that sort of small-town America feel to it. Abigail Williams, who went by the nickname Abby, was a 13-year-old girl in the 8th grade at Delphi Community Middle School. Abby had a wide variety of interests, including playing the saxophone in her school band. She also liked to play volleyball, and she liked swimming. Abby was a girl who just enjoyed being outside in the fresh air. She rode ATVs with her family, and she liked to go camping. Abigail was just a fun, loving girl. One of Abby's best friends was a girl by the name of Liberty Rose Lynn German, who also had a nickname, and her friends called her Libby. Similar to Abby, Libby was also in the eighth grade at Delphi Community Middle School. And just like her friend Abby, Libby was also a member in the school's band and liked to play volleyball. Liberty was a young girl who loved to create things. She liked to paint and just do different arts and craft type projects. And she was also super smart, who at the time was busy preparing for the academic bowl in her high ability class. And although they didn't share all of the same interests together, Abby and Libby were one of each other's best friends. On Sunday, February 12th, 2017, Abby spent the night at Libby's house. Normally, this would be a school night for the girls, but the following day on Monday was actually a built-in snow day for the school, which again, California girl here, I have never experienced a snow day in my entire life, but I say built-in here because it wasn't actually supposed to snow on Monday. In fact, it was actually a surprisingly warm day in Delphi for February. 
I think the weather was a little over 60 degrees, which personally, I wouldn't consider that very warm. But the school had already designated Monday the 13th as a snow day. So Libby and Abby had the day off from school. So Abby spent the night at Libby's house on Sunday night. Libby lived with her grandma and grandpa at the time, and the two girls just had a ton of fun together that night. They just hang out with each other, probably watch some movies, and even spent some time with Libby's older sister, Kelsey. The following afternoon, on Monday, February 13th, Libby's older sister, Kelsey, took Libby and her friend, Abby, to go hiking near the Monon High Bridge Trail around 1.30 p.m. Again, because the weather was unseasonably warm for Indiana in February, the girls wanted to do something fun outdoors. And who can blame them? So Abby and Libby went hiking near the Monon High Bridge, which is basically an abandoned railroad bridge over Deer Creek. Now, I'm not familiar with this part of Indiana, but from everything I read while researching this case suggests that this is a pretty popular hiking trail for the people of Delphi. It isn't some random, off-the-beaten-path type of place. And in fact, Libby and Abby and pretty much all of the kids in Delphi frequently visited the Monon High Bridge. So once Kelsey dropped Libby and Abby off at the trailhead, the plan was for Libby's dad, Derek, to come by later that afternoon and pick the girls up. So at 2.07 p.m., Libby posted on Snapchat a photo from her cell phone. And the photo that she posted is a picture of Abby just walking across the Monon High Bridge. To me, It just looks like a typical photo that a young teenage girl would post to her Snapchat. It didn't have any words, didn't have any captions. It was just a simple photo of her friend. You see that Abby's wearing Converse. She's got on blue jeans. And she just looks like your typical teenage girl who's out on a fun hike with her best friend. Now, I will post this Snapchat photo um, that we're referring to to the website, ForensicTales.com, so you can get a better picture of what this looked like. There's no one else seen in the photo, and there's absolutely no indication that these girls are in any sort of trouble, at least not around 2 o'clock. Libby's father, Derek, showed up at the trailhead a little after 3 o'clock p.m. to pick the girls up, just as planned. Once he arrives at the trailhead, he calls his daughter Libby on her cell phone at 3.11 p.m. to see where the girls are at. But when he calls Libby, he doesn't get any answer. Two minutes later, he calls his daughter again and still gets no answer. Around 3.30 p.m., Libby's father, Derek, gets out of his car and starts heading down the path to see if he could find where his daughter and Abby might be. But as he starts making his way down the trail, he doesn't see any signs of the girls anywhere. 
And after about 30 minutes of searching for Abby and Libby, Derek decides to start calling different family members to basically let them know that he's there at the trailhead just as was planned to pick the girls up, but he can't find them. And now they're late. So by 4.15 p.m. that afternoon, a lot of people from both Abby and Libby's families start showing up at the trail to help look for the missing girls. But again, Abby and Libby are nowhere to be found. Around 5.30 p.m., the girls still haven't shown up. Abby and Libby are officially reported missing to the Carroll County Sheriff's Department. The report of the missing girls begins a really big community search. I mean, literally just within minutes, an army of police officers arrived at the trail to try and find Abby and Libby. And it wasn't just Carroll County police officers who were searching for the girls. Many members of both families were out there on the trail And a ton of people just from the Delphi community came out to help. Now, shortly into the search for missing Abby and Libby, an Amber Alert was issued that went across pretty much the entire state of Indiana. Residents even hours away from the city of Delphi received this Amber Alert for Abby and Libby. And within just a few hours, it became an all-hands-on-deck search for the missing teenagers. Police learned pretty early on that Libby had a cell phone with her, mostly because of the Snapchat posts that she had posted just a couple hours earlier. But sometime that evening, the exact time, we're not quite sure, but at some point that evening, Libby's cell phone went dead, which really intensified the need to find these missing girls. The search party for Abby and Libby was called off around midnight, and that's mostly because it had been really, really dark out there on the trail that night. Remember, this isn't a hiking trail that is well lit. It's a hiking trail that's in the middle of nature. So it's not like there's any street lights out there where you can see very far. And the search was called off because it wasn't initially thought, at least to investigators, that Abby and Libby were victims of foul play or anything like that. The investigators early on initially thought that maybe one of the girls got hurt while out there hiking on the trail and that her friend didn't want to leave her side. So the police were hopeful that they would find the girls safe and sound the following morning once the sun came back up and once they were able to start searching again. And that's what they did. The search for Abby and Libby started again very early the following morning on February 14th, Valentine's Day. And again, the search party for the girls was massive. The search party included a ton of volunteers from the community Canine officers were involved, and even the girls' families were involved in the search party. There were hundreds of people who showed up that day to help find the girls, who they all still believed would be found safe and sound. 
Around 12 o'clock p.m. that afternoon, a searcher discovered the girls' bodies about a half mile east of the bridge down near the creek's edge. Although the girls were discovered not too far from the bridge, the bodies were actually discovered on a 40,000 square foot private property of a local Delphi resident. Now, even to this day, a couple years later, very little is known about the condition of the girls' bodies when they were discovered. The police in this case have kept a lot of details about the crime scene very secret, and not much has been known to the public. But what we do know by this point is that Abby and Libby were certainly victims of foul play. This was no accident. Abby and Libby had been murdered. At the autopsy, their bodies were officially identified as Abby Williams and Libby German, which didn't come as a surprise, but was just more of a confirmation. Just like where their bodies were found, there is very little known about either the manner or the causes of the deaths. The police have not released any information about how the girls were killed, if they were shot or if they were strangled. We don't know if they were sexually assaulted sometime before their deaths. We really don't know anything about how the girls were killed. I think there's a number of reasons why we basically have zero information about how they were killed. And that's because police tend to keep a lot of details about murders and they keep them secret from the public because you don't want people making false confessions. When you sit down with a potential suspect, you want to make sure that there's details about the murder that only the killer would know. And if you release details to the public, you basically lose that ability which is something the Delphi and the Indiana State Police are trying to do here. And it's also possible that the police don't want to publicly share details about how the girls were killed because, frankly, they were just kids at the time. Now, there is enough information out there that suggests that whoever killed Abby and Libby may have left behind a signature near their bodies. So a signature is a personal mark or imprint that a killer leaves behind either on or near their victims. It's obviously not known what that signature was, at least in this case, but reports out there suggest that Abby and Libby's killer left behind a possible signature at the crime scene. And a signature can also tell us that this might not be the first time he's killed before, which is pretty terrifying in itself. Even though the public doesn't know much about how the girls were killed, many people believe, myself included, that the girls were likely killed very close to where their bodies were discovered down by the creek. And that's for several reasons. One is that assuming there's only one person responsible for the murders, it would have been pretty hard for one person to manage 
two victims at the same exact time. Also, Libby was around 200 pounds at the time she was killed. So it would have been pretty difficult for whoever the killer is to kill the girl somewhere else and then be able to drag both of their bodies down to the creek where they were ultimately discovered. Now, the next day, this is now February 15th, the Indiana State Police Department, who was also insisting in the investigation, issued a still image of a man who was seen on the Monon High Bridge around the same time that Abby and Libby were there. The photograph that they released was actually a still photo that was retrieved from Libby's cell phone. Now, at first, the Indiana State Police Department didn't call the person seen in the photograph a suspect in the murders, and they didn't even refer to this person as a person of interest. They simply said that they wanted to speak to this guy and that they wanted to find out if this person either saw or heard anything on the bridge that afternoon. It's pretty hard to make out the details of the photo. It's, it's pretty grainy. Um, again, it's a, it's a photograph taken from a video. But it appears to be a white male somewhere in his 20s, 30s, maybe 40s. He's seen wearing blue jeans a navy windbreaker style jacket, and his hands appear to be in his pockets, I think. And in the photo, he's seen crossing over the same bridge that Abby and Libby crossed over on their hike. But the release of this initial photograph didn't seem to turn up any leads or at least any leads that were promising in the case. So a few days later, on February 22nd, a giant press conference was held about the investigation. And this was a pretty big deal because police offered up an audio recording of the person that they believed killed the girls. The audio was shared at the press conference is only a few seconds long, and it was audio retrieved also from Libby's cell phone. At the police press conference, The investigators shared that Libby had used her cell phone to record this individual who was seen walking across the bridge. And at this press conference, investigators really regarded Libby as being a hero. Because this young teenage girl had the wherewithal and the presence of mind to record this individual basically in secret. I'm not sure why Libby decided to videotape this individual on her cell phone. She must have had this sixth sense that something about this guy just wasn't right. So in my opinion, it's pretty darn incredible and remarkable that this young teenage girl had the presence of mind to record this guy who just didn't look right. Something that I'm not even sure that I would be able to do in my 30s. Now, it gives me the chills and it makes me just sick to my stomach to think that at this very moment, Libby must have known that something was off 
about this guy. And she must have sensed some sort of fear to take out her cell phone and to begin secretly recording this guy, all while knowing that something terrible might happen to not only her, but to her best friend. So the audio recording that was released to the public at this press conference is only a few seconds long. It's likely a part of a longer recording, but for some reason, the Indiana State Police Department only decided to release a very small portion of it. So the audio clip has only four words. I'm not sure if it's part of the same recording or if the words were spliced together from different sections of the video. But here it is. I want to share with you guys exactly what was on the audio recording and what was released at that press conference. So not much, right? It's a guy saying four words. Guys, down the hill. And again, I'm not sure if those words are spoken together in one sentence or if guys was separated from down the hill. To me personally, it sounds like they're from different parts of the video that Libby recorded. When I listen to it, when this guy says guys, it sounds more like a familiar tone. Maybe around the time that this guy approached Abby and Libby. And then the words down the hill sounded more like a command to me. It, it appeared to be more authoritative. Like he's ordering the girls to do something down the hill. Whatever you make of the audio recording, it's obvious that whoever's voice is on this recording is Abby and Libby's killer. And the hope is, is that someone will listen to this audio recording and they will recognize the voice. To me personally, and this is just my opinion, the audio clip just might not be enough. Like, I don't even know if I heard my own fiance's voice for just four words, if I could recognize it as Tony or not. I mean, the guy in the recording does say the word guys in a somewhat of a unique way. It's possible that this individual uses the term guys a lot, and someone might recognize that. But I'm just not sure. But regardless, this is all the police release to the public during this press conference. The Indiana State Police Department also report that additional evidence was retrieved from Libby's cell phone But they really don't want to get into much detail besides the audio recording that was found. And the reason why they didn't disclose what other evidence they had from the cell phone was, quote, not to compromise any future trial. So whatever else police were able to recover from that cell phone is obviously a very important piece to the investigation. By the time of the press conference on February 22nd, the reward for any information into Abby and Libby's murder was now up to $41,000. The community of Delphi and the entire country was desperate to find Abby and Libby's killer. 
with the still photograph of the man seen walking across the bridge and now the release of the audio recording, investigators were hopeful that they would receive the tip they needed to make an arrest in the case. But that didn't happen. A week would go by and no arrest in the case. Another week would go by, same thing. Of course, there were receiving a ton of tips about who people thought this man was, either on the audio recording or in the photo. People were calling in their classmates, their coworkers, their ex-boyfriends, and the police followed up on every single lead. But still, no arrests were made in the case. And it wasn't just the Carroll County Sheriff's Department that was involved in into the investigation. The Indiana State Police Department was just as involved. And by this point, even the FBI had agents working the case. Everyone from the local level all the way up to the federal level are really working together to try and find this killer. Months go by in the investigation, and there's still no arrest in the case. And on July 17th, police hold another press conference on the case. And at the second press conference, the police released a composite sketch of their suspect. According to investigators, the composite sketch was drawn based on some eyewitness descriptions of a man that was seen walking near the historic trails that afternoon. The sketch that the police put together shows a man who appears to be a little bit more overweight. He has some facial hair on him, like a goatee maybe, and he's wearing a hat and what looks like a baggy sweatshirt. So the Indiana police released the sketch again in hopes of getting any new tips that could maybe lead to an arrest. The police even consider the possibility that Abby and Libby's killer may actually be from the Delphi area. And in fact, they may still be local to the area. It became a theory that the killer is from Delphi and is extremely familiar with the area. This theory emerged because the hiking trails that Abby and Libby went on that day isn't a place that you would just um, stumble upon. The trail system in this area is pretty complex, especially for those who have never been out there before. So for someone to be out there on the trails that day and to have the confidence that they could just get away with something like this tells police and certainly tells people like me that it's very likely that the person they're looking for is right there from the Delphi area. Months go by in the investigation to hunt down this killer. According to Indiana State Police Sergeant Kim Riley, this hasn't stopped the investigation. Sergeant Riley insists that the case is not a cold case. He says there are between six to eight officers in the multi-agency task force who are assigned to this case basically full-time. And the investigation into Abby and Libby's case remained pretty quiet in the eyes of the public for nearly two years. The next press conference in the case wouldn't happen until April 19th, 2019. 
And in this 2019 press conference, the Indiana State Police Department announced that they were taking a new direction in the case. And with this new direction, they decided to release a second sketch composite of their suspect. This second sketch is much different than the sketch that was released back in 2017. To me, it's pretty much an entirely different person. The new description of the suspect describes a man between the ages of 18 and 40 years old and could appear much younger than he really is. So after this press conference, a follow-up press conference was held on April 22nd, 2019. At this press conference, Superintendent Doug Carter revealed that they believed the second sketch is a more accurate description of the suspect. Superintendent Doug Carter also really emphasized here that these are just sketches. They are not actual photographs of the suspect. And really, the person may actually look like a combination of both the sketches. Back to my opinion, the two sketches look completely different from one another. I don't think they look like the same person at all. They appear to me to be completely different in age, different in weight, and just general facial expressions. I will post, again, both of these sketches to ForensicTales.com. So after the episode, hop on the website and you guys can see for yourself. So the 2019 press conference also requested the public's help to try and identify the driver of a vehicle that was seen parked right near the Monon High Bridge that day. This information is entirely new, and this idea that we're now searching for the driver of a possible getaway vehicle wasn't something that was released back in 2017, Back in 2017, there was no mention of a vehicle being parked near the Monon High Bridge. According to Superintendent Doug Carter, the vehicle was parked at an old CPS DCS building in Delphi, right near the Hoosier Heartland Highway, sometime between noon and 5 p.m. on February 14th. Not much information was released about the vehicle's make or model, just that the police wanted to speak to the driver of that vehicle. The Indiana State Police Department also released a short video recording of a white male dressed in blue jeans and a jacket walking along the rail bridge. And just like the audio clip released back in 2017, the video is super short only a few seconds long. The video clip is another part of what Libby recorded on her cell phone, likely just moments before her murder. Now, although the video clip is only a few seconds long, you see the suspect take a few steps forward on the bridge. I have studied this clip. I have watched it probably a hundred or more times. And it's obvious that the person isn't walking normally probably because he's crossing a really old bridge. The the wood boards are at all different levels. It looks a little sketchy. 
So it's clear, though, that the man isn't walking the same way as if he's walking down the street. He's got some sort of different gait going on. I'll post this video to the website so you guys can see what you think. And again, (laughs) I'm having the same issues with the video clip that I had with the 2017 audio clip of Down the Hill. The video is a few seconds long, only a couple frames. I think it's so hard to try and recognize this man's walking style, especially since it's clear that he's not walking normally. I think it's really hard to make out anything from this video. And again, unless you know someone with a very distinct walk or you've seen this person walk on a bridge, I don't know if you'd recognize anything special from this video or be able to identify who you think it is. This video is not like what we saw in the case of Missy Beavers. Missy Beavers is a case that we covered a few episodes back on the show where the suspect also had such a unique gait. I'm not so sure we see anything unique about this individual in the Delphi case like we saw in the surveillance video with Missy Beavers. But again, the police beg the public to come forward if they believe that they know who this man is based on how he's seen walking. Like I said, I'll be sure to post the short video to our website and you can check it out. By 2019, investigators still believe that their suspect is hiding in plain sight. And as I mentioned before, it's very likely with the city of Delphi. They're just hiding right there. Whether this person grew up in Delphi or they currently live there now. And there's been some persons of interest in the case over the years. One of the guys is a man by the name of Paul Etter. Paul Etter came up on the police radar back in July 2019 after investigators received a number of tips from the public about this guy. At the time, Paul Etter was wanted for the kidnapping and sexual assault of a 26-year-old woman just one month before the murders. But the tips about Etter possibly being involved in Abby and Libby's murder have pretty much gone out the window because Etter committed suicide shortly after police started tracking him down for the earlier kidnapping and rape case. Paul Etter has never been called more than a possible person of interest in this case. And with him being dead now, it's very unlikely that this will be pursued any further in this case. Another guy, Daniel J. Nations, also has been named as a possible person of interest in the Delphi murders. Nations is a registered sex offender from Indiana And he was arrested in September 2017, just a few months after the Delphi murders. He was arrested for threatening people out on a Colorado hiking trail with a hatchet. Now, because Nations is a registered sex offender, doesn't mean he's involved in Abby and Libby's case. It's never been released to the public whether or not the girls were sexually assaulted before they were killed. But regardless, 
By February 2018, Daniel Nations was no longer considered a possible suspect in the Delphi murders. There's also been several other names mentioned as possible suspects in the Delphi murders, like Thomas Bruce, a former pastor, Charles Eldridge, another sex offender from Indiana. But all of these people have never been named more than a person of interest in the murders. The FBI, the Indiana State Police Department, or the Delphi police have never officially named anybody a suspect in the murders. And to this day, in 2020, there hasn't been a single arrest in the case. So we're now, what, a couple months into 2020, And it's now been a little over three years since Abby and Libby's murders. And I think we're all stuck here wondering the same thing. Why hasn't this case been solved? We have photographs of the killer. We have in our possession videos of this guy. We even have the sound of his voice, but we still don't know who this guy is. It seems like this case should have been solved within just a few days. And I think that's what a lot of people thought would happen, especially after the release of those initial photos and the audio recording. I think the public, the victims' families, myself included, thought that this case was an open and shut case. I remember just thinking, okay, the Indiana police are going to catch this sicko and we're going to know what he looks like. And in a couple days, this guy's going to be behind bars. But day after day, week after week, and now year after year, that's just simply not the case. Now, I know you're wondering, well, what about the forensic evidence in the case? Us Forensic Tales crew know that forensic science has the ability to solve just about any and every case, including one like this. Well, not much is really known about what forensic evidence the Indiana police have or the forensic evidence that they don't have. You can certainly go down the rabbit hole that Um, some police say that police have DNA from the crime scene. Um, some reports like on Reddit say that they don't have anything. Some people speculate that the killer left behind trace evidence. Others say that there was absolutely nothing left at the crime scene. Again, because the police have released so little about what was obtained at the crime scene, We really don't know what forensic evidence they have or what they don't have. And in my opinion, I think it's likely they do have some sort of trace or forensic evidence that they have just decided to not disclose. It's really impossible, truly, to commit a crime like this on two separate victims and not leave behind any trace evidence. This trace evidence may be blood from the offender. It could be their sweat, fibers from their clothing. It could even be things like footprints or fingerprints. I think the list here can go on and on, especially when we're talking about one offender and two victims. And if Abby and Libby were sexually assaulted before the murders, which again, we we do not know that for sure, 
That also raises the likelihood of valuable forensic evidence being left behind on one or both of the victims. The Indiana State Police and the FBI have felt like it's an important part of their investigation to keep that forensic evidence out of the public's eye. And it's my opinion that they are doing that for a very good reason. In my heart of hearts, I truly believe that the Delphi murders will be solved, whether it's through the forensic evidence or it's through something else. I believe whoever did this to Abby and Libby will be brought to justice. Abby and Libby and their families deserve that justice, and I believe someday they will get it. So where does the case stand here in 2020? Even though it's been a little over three years since the murders, the police continue to receive tips almost every single day about the murders. And the police officers who are actively working the case follow up on each and every single one of those tips, which isn't an easy task because to date, This case has received over 40,000 tips from the public. But as assured by the Indiana State Police, every tip they receive is vetted and followed up on. All of these tips are placed into the FBI system known as Pyramid that stores information like names and possible motives so that the tips can be cross-referenced to other tips from all across the country. Now, what can you do to help solve the Delphi murders? Continue to share the audio recording, the video, and the photographs of the man that was seen on that bridge that same day. Share it all across social media. The more people who see the images, the better. Because somebody out there knows who this guy is. This guy is someone's son, possibly someone's father, possibly a coworker, or a neighbor. Someone out there knows what this man did to Abby, Libby, their families, and the entire community of Delphi. It's like the suspect has told somebody what he's done. It's likely that he's talked about the murders. We know this about predators, just like what we see in this case. As of now, the reward for any information leading to an arrest in the Delphi murders is up to $250,000. Tips can be sent directly into the Indiana State Police Department via email, via their website, or over the phone, and it goes directly to the investigators working this very case. All of the tips are anonymous. I will post all of the tip information to ForensicTales.com. I will also continue to follow the Delphi murders and will provide you with any updates about the case. Again, if you want to learn more about the murders of Abby and Libby, I highly recommend the podcast called Down the Hill. It's a multi-episode podcast that is dedicated to the facts, 
Also, if you want to check out the sketches, the photos, the video, everything that we talked about in this episode, they will all be posted to our website. I I really believe that these murders will be solved. And I think it's just a matter of time before Abby and Libby's killer is finally brought to justice. Forensic Tales is a Rockefeller audio production. The show is written and produced by me, Courtney Fretwell. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows so you don't miss an episode of Forensic Tales. If you love the show, please leave us a rating with a review. Reviews really help the show and allow me to continue to produce the true crime content you love. Forensic Tales is a podcast made possible by our Patreon producers, Tony A. and Nicole L. If you'd like to become a Patreon producer of the show, please head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Forensic Tales, or email me at Courtney at ForensicTales.com to find out how you can become involved. As always, thank you so much for listening to the show. Join me next week. We release a new episode every Monday. Until then, remember, not all stories have happy endings. 